0: Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Andrew Roth. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing and literary culture. My name's Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2ACR in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. And every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. To SER broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunangara people. Now I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands and that treaty has never been made in Australia. Andrew Roth is an award-winning writer of short stories. Uh, Amongst these include the 2020 Peter Carey Short Story Award for Bok Bok, uh, the 2018 Margaret River Press Short Story Competition for Pig Face. Both of those stories are part of his debut collection, The Teeth of a Slow Machine. And as with any collection, I am not going to try and summarise every single narrative. Andrew and I are going to get into it. So today, join me as we discover Andrew Roth's The Teeth of a Slow Machine.
1: Uh,
0: Andrew, welcome. It's, we're going to have some fun today, I know it.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, great to be here. There
0: are so many ways to conceptualise a short story collection, but I actually think one of my favourites is the comparison to an album. You know, something about, you know, you need to set the tone early on, maybe with the opener. You've got to manage the ebbs and flows. There's even the possibility that there's going to be a single or two that hit it big. But like, is that mad? Is that analogy mad? How do you look at this?
1: I don't think that's that's mad at all, and and I think one of the great fun things about putting together, assembling a, a collection is is thinking about story order, uh, and I know that my editor, Joe Case at Wakefield Press and I uh, went back and forth quite a few times on, uh, you know, which story should open the collection, uh, which story should close the collection, the ordering of the stories in the middle, and, um, because you you do think about you know you want you want a really strong, punchy opening to draw people in. Um, the stories I think do uh, interlink and interrelate to each other in in a very light way in this collection. So I, w- I wanted um, the way I sort of thought about it with 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 my book was um, I almost wanted to. Uh, Gently educate the reader on on how I how I write my stories, how I construct my stories, and, and lead them in without uh, you know bashing them over the head with something too experimental too early on. Um, so uh, yeah, it is you know it's maybe a bit like uh, putting together a mixtape or something. You you know you want a bit of light and shade, a bit of variation. Uh, but uh, I think one of the things that that my editor Joe um, sort of pointed out was, you know, some of those stories work in, in couplets or, or in trios and, you know, having them together is is um, you know, actually can produce quite a good effect. So yeah, as I say, we 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 spent a bit of time really thinking about ordering.
0: I wanna rewind you back to a word you said there, experimental. I think people come to short story collections for so many different reasons. Some, some people just, they, they don't want to think about a brick of a novel, especially late at night when you're worried that thing's going to land on your head. Other times you might be pressed for time. Other times you are looking for what is being done by the writer. Probably the most important reason to come to a short story collection. So tell me about the art, or at least your art, of short storytelling. What it, what it, differ, what it offers and differs from other forms.
1: Yeah, well, so I think what I like about writing short stories is that you can be a bit more daring, a bit more bold, a bit more offbeat than you might if you were planning to write a novel. There are things you can do in a short story um, that you probably would find it difficult to sustain across the length of a of a whole novel. Um, so um, you know, I think I think that's that's definitely an appeal. Um, I think the other thing with a short story is, you, you know, most short stories are moments in time or moments in a people in a person's life. Uh, you're not trying to give a whole lifetime arc of a character. You, you're picking a, a specific moment, uh, and and so there are things that happen before the short story, and there are things that happen after the short story. Um, you know, the action in the short story that, that you don't have to delve into, um, short stories can be a bit ambiguous. Uh, they can leave things unsaid. Uh, and, and I actually really like that. I, I like making the reader, uh, do a little bit of work to imagine what might be happening, um, you know, just before or just after the, the action in the story, or even, um, you know, because it is a short story, you, you, you can't spend a lot of time, you know, going into every, uh, Every kind of tangent, um, I, I, you know, I like that idea. I think um, the poet Keats called it uh, negative capability. It's um, it's about uh, the things that are not said, but that are evoked by a, by a text. And I think the really good short stories, um, you know, employ that uh, to, to great effect.
0: I want to pull on the thread there. You said that there are things that maybe couldn't be sustained. I think we're going to get further down the track. We'll get into maybe some stylistic things that you do. But when whatever it is, whether it be style, whether it be subject matter, um, when you say it can't be sustained, is there something inherent about the thing itself or the short story? Or is it something to do with the reader as well? Maybe readers aren't ready to to read three acts and 300 uh, pages of the thing whatever it may be i'm not going to pull i'm not going to pick on anything in the collection for this question
1: oh uh, let, let me pick on something so um, uh, you know there's a, there's a story in my collection um, that is is told in the form of a um computer code script uh it's called else if um so so that is formatted and laid out as a a piece of computer code and the story is kind of embedded in the comments in the code um i you know i, I hope that works well uh, for for that for that story uh, if you read 90,000 words uh, of of that in a novel um it might get a bit exhausting so i i guess that's what i mean when i say that there are some techniques um, some modes of storytelling that could get a bit wearing i mean then you know i'm sure there are readers out there who who love experimental novels and and are quite happy to to sit down and and plow through a whole novel of you know um not using the letter e or uh you know some other experimental form but i think um when you're writing a short story collection you do get to play a little bit more and try out different different techniques and different different forms
0: all right, you went there. So, I'm, I'm now jumping about three quarters of the way down my questions because I wanted to – I was picking on that else if and also uh, else worlds where you do adopt this really versatile style. In else words, you, you kind of dual voices of a very hyper-masculine video game and a teenage girl trying to navigate her way through it. Um I've noticed that particularly gaming and coding-type language is something that writers are playing with. Um, Rhett Davis's Hovering, which came out earlier this year, adopts coding. I'm thinking of... I'm, I absolutely am going to forget the name of Ian Ryan's last novel, but he very much plays. And it occurs to me that... That was why I asked about this idea of sustainability, because I think there's probably a growing readership that through their engagement with other narrative forms... Are ready for this when they can discover it. And coding particularly has this really. Once you start to recognise patterns, has this really unique way of expressing things. And um, I mean, I maybe a, maybe a comment rather than a question. I like the uh, sort of the encroachment of new styles and what they can do to narrative. Sometimes narratives feel like things we've seen before. I mean, else else if is a love story, um, but. You give it uh, this really incredible sort of spin because it's a love story about a woman trying to write an algorithm to f- discover the likelihood of her partner's death, and I mean, I think that's probably something that a lot of a lot of people will think about in their relationship, if not their, their partner's death. I guess at least will their relationship survive? <laughs> I love the way you've done it.
1: Oh well, thank you. Yeah, I, I think. Um you know, I agree that, uh, you know, a lot of writers are, are sort of looking to, um, you know, the online space, uh, you know, coding, uh, you know, computer influence stuff in, in their work. Um, and, and you know, sometimes that gets called experimental, sometimes it gets called speculative. But the fact is that that, that stuff permeates our lives now. We live a lot of our lives online online. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I, I sort of think, well, why is this considered edgy or speculative or or new? Because, it, you know, that, that, that's how people are communicating these days. And so, of course, uh, you know, you could have a a chat log or a you know instant messages in a in a novel or in a story uh, because because that's 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 what people do these days. So I think. Um, if you want to be a contemporary writer, you've, you, you've kind of got to grapple with that stuff. Um, I think, um, you know, even a book like uh, Weather by Jenny Offal, uh, which is sort of, I guess, a climate fiction novel um, released recently, you know, it, it's told in really short segments. And, and, and that, um, I think, is, is more and more common. As well, because it's it's how we digest a lot of the information that, that comes into our brains these days. So, uh, I I really like playing with with uh, you know computer computer code uh, as well because it introduces a kind of nice repetition sometimes, and, and I really enjoy the technique of of, of repetition. Uh, with subtle variations, sometimes to to sort of drive home a, a message or a theme. Mm.
0: And look, this is now a complete aside, but I I really wanted to to talk about it as well because in my in my other work, I am a speech pathologist, and I work working with some kids. I've got some kids who just will not engage with literacy, and I've been experimenting with doing code and like w- getting them to work with code and if they can do some really basic code for games and things like that they're they're enraptured in a way that they won't they won't engage necessarily with books and you can do all like LCF is perfect because you're you've you've put a conditional that's your title is a conditional try and teach a conditional to a child that won't engage with literacy but suddenly gaming gives you this incredible space and language to do it which yeah, I think these are the kids that are going to grow up, and books like oh, sorry stories like Elsie will be their canon.
1: Yeah, well, that's 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 really cool, Andrew. We yeah, are really interesting to hear that that's a, a technique that you can um, you can sort of use to 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 get kids uh, to get kids in to, to where you you know, you, you want them to to be. Um, I think also with, you know, a bit about my background, I, I, I used to be a um, computer programmer for a, a couple of years. Uh, I, I've worked as a, I, I do currently work as a lawyer uh, now in the the IT space. And, and I think uh, being a lawyer and writing contracts is actually very similar to um, being a computer programmer in a way you're trying to program, um, Behaviors of of human beings, I guess, um, in, in, in the future, and you've got to think about contingencies and what could happen, and if that happens, what what should happen then? Um, so it's a to me, it's a very similar thought process, and I think some of that naturally b- bleeds across into into the way I write stories as well. So. Um, uh, hopefully people kind of like that, <laughs> that I'm, no, slightly I'm, logical, I'm, uh, you know, um, a, a approach and hopefully I, 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 I can balance it with a bit of emotion and heart in my writing as well. I'm just imagining
0: like a, a contracted relationship throwing up a massive error message and everything coming to a halt because <laughs> you've failed to actually stipulate something on a line in the contract.
1: Yeah, humans are a bit more messy, so it's it's pretty hard to cover off all the, all the bases there, yeah. <laughs>
0: oh dear okay back back to slow machine and i hope you don't mind that's my little shorthand for the collection as we go through
1: um, that, that's probably better I've, I've been calling it teeth which is a bit ridiculous so uh so yeah, maybe i should stick with slow machine that's, uh...
0: <laughs> i reckon i reckon we can play with both but i'll tell you why later um so look one thing that i really noticed is the way you play with perspective we've just talked a little bit about the way you muck around with style and innovate which is one aspect but i'd I'd even go so far as to say you make an argument that our perspective is in fact our reality, even if it's just our reality for a moment. And two stories I want to note here are The Last Day of Christmas and Third Heaven. In both, we have widely different characters, but the way they view their world through a very focused lens, it leads us as the reader on a journey that's quite different, I would say to the world that is orbiting within the story. Um, I'm being a bit, a little bit vague here, but we might, we might pick on the last day of Christmas, which in which a young girl, it's actually almost the new year and Christmas is winding down and her grandparents come to visit and she can only focus on her brother's present, which is one of those giant Toblerones that are disubiquitous at Christmas time. And, through her focus, she is not aware of everything else that's going on. I found this this sort of focus perspective both delightfully unsettling, and it really had me thinking about all the things that maybe, in my own relative perspective, I, I'm not seeing that are hidden from me. Do you think that as humans we are properly alive to the world of what like what's happening through other people's eyes?
1: I think. Um we, we are never fully conscious of everything that's happening around us. Um, everything that others might be noticing that we're not noticing. Uh, and so I really, I really do enjoy writing characters that have blind spots. And, and, and the last day of Christmas is probably an extreme example of that because it's told from the perspective of a child who, who is not really processing uh, what's, you know what's going on around her um but um you know in in other stories as well i think uh, there's this there's a wonderful um tension if you can create a character that um really can't see what's in front of them um, but the the reader who is who is reading the story uh you know is it, you don't have to it's it's a way of sort of showing not telling, I guess. You you know the the reader can see that this this character has this blind spot. Um, you don't need to make that express. The the reader will do that work and, and figure it out for themselves. And and I think yeah, I, 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 you know I probably draw draw on that technique a, a lot. And it's because um, I I do think we're all um, operating with a bit of tunnel vision, some some blinkers a lot of the time, uh, and you know, a big part of becoming an adult uh, and, and, and working your way through life is, uh, is is to try and actually open up your perspective, see things from other people's perspective, think about how your actions might be sort of construed or, or affecting people, you know, beyond the, the, the narrow um, viewpoint that, that you have.
0: Let's not give it away because it's a great story, but I actually found in Third Heaven I was very much more immersed in our, our point of view character's way of seeing the world. I, I believed her reality and it was more a slow process of the blinkers coming off. Do you think it's maybe important to be immersive like that? Do you, do you, were you striving to have the reader say, "Go, oh, okay, this is a very interesting story in a space that I, I um, haven't encountered before and then slowly realise that something
1: else was going on? Yeah, I think that one was a slow reveal, but but I also think that I, I want that character to have dignity and I want the reader to to empathise with that character because f- for her, her, her lived reality is, is real to her. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it might not be what we would say is this complete objective reality, but, but she's living it. Uh, so you know, as a, as a writer, you've, you've got to, you know, certainly your, your viewpoint character or your main character has to be someone that, that readers can, can really, um, you know, get inside the head of um, think is believable um, and and has a, um, you know, an interesting inner life. Otherwise the, the story just falls flat. So, she she does have a a, a pretty out there perspective um, mm. for, for reasons, but um, yeah, I hope that I hope the reader can can go on that journey with her and and understand um, you know why does that why then, she's saying
0: does that then muck around with our ideas of an unreliable narrator because I mean if we take if we take a person. In their entirety and their point of view as making up their own reality. I mean, just because it is different to ours, does that make them unreliable? Is it is it actually important that we, at least for a moment, immerse ourselves and say, "This person is not unreliable. This person is is who they are at the moment."
1: Yeah, great great question. I I actually would say that every narrator is unreliable mm-hmm. to a greater or lesser extent, um, if only because Every writer is is unreliable and is and is only um, presenting one particular perspective on, on the story. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think um, as a reader, we, we should always be kind of questioning, um, you know, why why is the narrator presenting the story like this? But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you can't have a lot of compassion uh, and a lot of sympathy for for that, that narrator. Um, we're all just trying to do the best we can. Mm. Um, we all miss things. We all present incomplete versions of the of the truth, uh, but that doesn't mean that those perspectives aren't valuable.
0: So let's come back to these dastardly writers constantly mucking with our view of the world because in a in a straight line, in the story, in a straight line, your point of view character tells us that sometimes the only way to make things clear is to rearrange the story. And what follows is a completely a chronological narrative. Are you pulling back the curtain here a little bit? Is this uh, is this something that you're doing? Sometimes the story is not working, and you're just doing a a fun sort of beat style cut up.
1: Yeah, uh, with that one. Uh, I'm, that's one of those stories that, that I think I'm really satisfied with um, and that, uh, you know, when I put the finishing touches on that story, um, you know, a couple of years ago now, I've, I've sort of hardly, hardly tinkered with it. They don't all come out that way, but, um, but that one was just a, a beautiful synergy, I think, of... So, so, just, um, so, just
0: to clarify, Andrew, the story that looks like you had to cut it up and rearrange it actually just came out linear.
1: Um, I, I wrote it in a linear way. So just, just to sort of explain, uh, the, the, the story is about um, a guy who um, sort of in, invents mazes uh, on, on his commute home from work each evening. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the city to him is a, is a sort of maze that he has to navigate to, to get home. Um, and the, the, stru- the structure of the story is, is jumbled. Um, in in a manner of a puzzle, and I, I like that kind of complementarity. I guess uh, that the um, the structure of the story mirrors his personal struggle to um, to sort of get home each evening. So so that that was working. Um, I, I did write it as a linear narrative, and and I did physically print it out, cut up paragraphs, and and rearrange them. Oh, um, right. uh, so so it, it it absolutely was a um, a process of. Of jumbling up the story deliberately, but um, the the reason I liked the end result, I think, was because um, you know he, he, he's trying in his personal relationship with his with his partner to, to sort of reach a reach a happy ending. That um, the story, sort of in its jumbled form, I think builds builds to that happy ending, um, and uh, so. It, it, yeah, it just—I um, don't know—it works for me in my brain. So uh, <laughs> hopefully, it works for readers as well. But.
0: I love it. It also had this strange way of highlighting a very innocuous part of any story, which is—is is numbers, where you know whether they be chapter numbers or the like. Because you find yourself looking at these numbers, revealing, uh, as I said, a, a nonlinear linear um, progression, and thinking. What if I bounce around, sort of almost choose your own adventure style? It, um, it uh, by playing with us structurally in a way that doesn't necessarily involve the content. It, um, it really challenges the reader. I think to think about the way we we read the fact that we just go, okay, I'm going to go left to right, top to bottom. I'm just going to go front to back. It's, it's not something you're ever challenged to think about, which you do.
1: Yeah, I I did leave the um the numbering in the story so that the segments are each numbered and, and if a reader, you know, cared to do so, they could rearrange the story back into a, a linear um, narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I briefly considered maybe taking the numbers out and, and, and just letting the, the, the reader try and figure all that stuff out for themselves, mm-hmm. but I wasn't that cruel in the end, so uh, uh, I, I, I gave some clues. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean... But, I was interested in the idea that maybe a linear storytelling approach is not always the most satisfying way to, to, to tell a story. And, and you know, lots of novels, of course, um, flash forward and flash back uh, for, for, you know, to, to sort of maintain t- tension or to, to, to shape the story in the right way um, or to reveal something that has been obscured. In the, in the story up until that point. So, you know, all, all, all writers think about time and, and moving forward and backwards in time, but, uh, but that story in particular is, um, you know, a very deliberate um, playing with, with
0: time and ordering. All right. I'm going to borrow a leaf from your book. And I'm cutting up my questions. I'm going to do them all out of order. <laughs> I, I I felt I felt like my opening questions were really about getting a sense of the collection as a collection. And, and it's something that I think we naturally try to do when we see a collection. Like, how can I make the disparate, uh, make it make sense as a whole? But now I'm going to jump around um, and get a bit more particular. Really particular, in fact. Let's talk about the title. The, the Teeth of a Slow Machine. It feels a little like it could be a Fiona Apple song. Um, (laughs) Although I've been shortening it to Slow Machine, which sounds a little bit like a Radiohead song. And you said said you've been calling it Teeth. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a Florence and the Machine song. (laughs) And I'm like... (laughs) Is Fiona? Is Fiona? Like if we put Florence in the machine and, Fiona and Radiohead together, we maybe we get Fiona Apple. There's I Maybe. Yeah. This yeah. is this is going to go to where on a radio station that plays about eighty percent music. There are gonna be people calling in. Anyway, my, my first impression: teeth of a slow machine. It felt like oh, there was grinding going on, and then the word inexorable kind of floated into my um, frame. The within the story pigface though the title is invoked to describe a landscape. The cliffs jagged eastward, jutting like the teeth of a slow machine. And again, we have this sense that there is a different perspective and it shows us something new in the world. But all of this means nothing if, you know, what did the title mean to you? Does any of that resonate?
1: Yeah, look, absolutely. Choosing a title for the collection was was not easy. Uh, I think we had a kind of a list of maybe 40 or 50 different potential titles, but the, the one we said along, The Teeth of a Slow Machine, I think I like that because um, a lot of the stories to me are about people trying to come to grips with machines or systems that they are embedded or, or trapped in uh, and 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 work, working out how it's possible to live Happy, meaningful lives in amongst the the machinery of of, of you know that they find themselves within, um, and you know a lot of the characters are sort of experimenting to try and work out you know how, how it's how they can how they can live, and and of course um, you know we are all subject to various systems and rules in in our lives, um, you know some of them are. Annoying. Some of them are unjust. Some of them are very sensible, um, and and we're all we're all engaged on that quest of, of experimenting to find out the, the best ways to to live. Um, so you know, the, the the final story, for example, in the in the collection, sort of uh, imagines a, a machine as a sort of the ultimate benevolent dictator um, that that really controls how it, how everyone lives. Um, but uh, does that mean that, you know, everyone should, should give up and despair? No, you know, there, there's, even in that extreme example, there's, there's still ways to, to live and find meaning. So, so I think that's, to my mind, what, what brings the stories in the collection together. And so I thought it was a good, um, a good title to kind of evoke some of that.
0: Now, I don't want to play this next part, but I think even from our conversation about the stories, people might get uh, the impression that there's perhaps some speculative or at least a little bit of a kaleidoscopic view to the stories of, of Slow Machine. Some of them seem to exist in a dark underworld. Others others are a little bit maybe more of a funhouse mirror view, or at least that's how I read it. But I wondered, is that fair? Or do you see the collection as maybe a little bit more grounded and it's just the way we look at the world?
1: Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say that um, you know, funhouse mirror is probably a, a, a good way of putting it. Uh, maybe you could view the the stories in the collection as all taking place in a sort of alternate universe that's that's similar to but not exactly the same as as our own. Yep. Um, some of the stories, really, just a couple of the stories, are set, I guess, in a in a, in a future time um, where there's some technology that, that doesn't exist right at the moment but I think a lot um, a lot of them are set you know in the in the present day but maybe just not in exactly the same universes as, as we <laughs> as we have uh, but hopefully there's enough grounded stuff there to, to, to sort of keep readers um, feeling like they they understand the world that these stories are, um, are, are, are Taking place in, and I don't think by any means you'd call it a, a straight specfic story collection. Uh, I don't think you need to be into sci fi or, or specfic to um, to sort of get into the stories. Um, you, you know, I, I have a, as a reader, i um, you know I grew up on the the science fiction stories of the of the fifties and sixties. Um, that was what was in the bookcase at home, and that's what I devoured as a as a kid. So I think that definitely has influenced. My work, uh, but I, I certainly wasn't setting out to write a you know a, a set of spec spec stories. Mm.
0: I'm glad you said universe a couple of times there, which I'm so glad. My next question was going basically to the idea that you know everyone's got a connected universe nowadays. Everyone. Just bringing it all together, and I caught a few cross references peppered through the stories of Slow Machine, which is is fascinating to think about the idea that maybe we're looking at an Andrew Roth connected universe.
1: <laughs> I'm waiting for the um, the movie studio to uh, mm. to cotton on and, and and realize and you know pay me squillions of dollars to uh, option the, the whole the whole universe, but it hasn't happened yet. But you know it could happen any day, I suppose. Um, I I really really enjoy putting those little linkages in between the stories. I think there is nothing in the stories to suggest that they would not necessarily all happen in the same uh, continuum, um, albeit separated in, in time and place. A lot of the – a lot of, the, well, sorry, some of the stories are specifically um, expressly kind of set in and around Adelaide uh, because that's where I – where I live. Um, a couple of the stories are, are not, uh, but they could very well all be in the same world, in the same universe. So uh, I guess I presented that to the readers, um, you know, to, to to sort of pick up and think about if they want to or, or you know, it's equally as valid to, to ignore that and read each story as a, as a sort of separate entity in and of itself. They, they work in that way as well.
0: I think it's fascinating for the fertile mind. We might start to wonder, are the girls from the last day of Christmas in any way associated? Are they friends? Is it the same person with, um, Oh, I've just forgotten Elseworlds, the the character from the, or the, the the player from um, that story, you know, even, even the family that might be, you know, going out for fast food might pass a, a, a furtively blacked out car in the car park. Um, Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. so much yeah. going on. But- yeah.
1: And... Um, every every reader is welcome to, to speculate and, and uh, I would like to say whether whether anyone was was right or wrong I, I will say uh, for, for really close readers there is one character that does recur in two of the stories um, uh, they are a subsidiary character in, in one of the stories and, um, and, and sort of um, main character in, in another one so um, uh, really astute readers will will pick up that they're, they're a child in one story and, and a sort of young adult in in another one. Uh, but that's the only only character that that sort of carries across two stories.
0: Mm. There you go. All right. Something to go back and listen, dear reader. But now I want to well, look, I, I, I actually, I always find this happens that in dealing with a collection and trying to talk about a collection as a whole, you can miss out on the particular. And there are numerous stories in The Teeth of a Slow Machine. We are not creating a podcast series, regrettably. We probably could. I, I've chosen, I want to zoom in on the mind-body problem and just give readers a flavor of one of the stories in your world. So on an, on an island, a group of researchers are seeking to unravel the mind-body problem. Think, where is our consciousness and our soul in the gooey mass of our brain box type of stuff. They're doing this by experimenting on a group called the Umars who are on the island, perhaps as, as refugees for some reason, they're not, the, they're not native to the island. The story immediately brought to mind for me the Tuskegee experiments, which was a horrific medical kind of malpractice in the middle of last century that still covers American race relations to this day, but it also brought to mind Australia's own history of abuses on places like Manus Island. I've made this mistake before in in, in interviews and conversations, so I want to start out by saying, were you seeking to engage in some sort of contemporary discussion here?
1: Yeah, I think this is probably the most... Explicitly political story that I've included in the in the collection, um, and it is definitely about, um, I guess, the, the government's treatment of asylum seekers. Uh, and so, I guess the genesis for this particular story uh, was sort of the thought that, well, if our government um, is uh, prepared to essentially um, torture people as a deterrent uh, to stop other people seeking asylum in Australia. Then, is it that much of a stretch to think that they might then see some advantage in um, you know using them for commercial gain or, or, or um, you know scientific research? Um, you know, if, you, if you're prepared to torture people for one reason. Um, you know where where does that sort of naturally end? So the the story is a, a, a kind of set um, in a um, detention camp where the government's basically given permission to a um, a, a research unit of a university to to, to conduct um, research on on um, on the de- detainees um, and and the, the the logic as expressed by the you know somewhat unreliable narrator again uh, is. Um, you know uh, these people are living here at, at the cost of the government. Why shouldn't the government see a benefit from um, from from housing these people? Um, which is, you know, pr- pretty pretty <coughs> pretty dark, admittedly. But um, you know, not not completely beyond the realm of, of you know something that some government bureaucrat might might dream up. Unfortunately,
0: no, and it was it was one of those stories where it it felt very much like i'm reading it at a time and that is evolving and changing my reading of the story and i made I made that sort of parallel in my mind with the Tuskegee experiment, which happened in America. And one thing that really struck about that was this was an experiment where certain outcomes were already understood, but the experiment was allowed to go on. People were allowed to suffer simply because the researchers researchers were observing. They could have stopped it at any time. Um, and there is a sense of that in the mind-body problem. And as I'm reading, we're seeing this you know, plan emerge where Australia is going to be... Um, Sending refugees to resettle in New Zealand, a deal that was established almost 10 years ago. It's again that sense of at any time you could have stopped the suffering. And what you seem to show us is that whether it's the government seeing profit or the researchers seeing knowledge, um, they didn't, it never occurred to them to stop. The idea was always what we are doing is in and of itself defensible and justifiable by our own logic. And you create this kind of logic loop where they get stuck.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the the thing I want the reader to reflect on after the excuse me, after the story. Um you know, I I never like to sort of ram home a message in in, in the in the stories that I write, but I suppose um, you know if the reader is left afterwards feeling uncomfortable with what was going on in the story, um, maybe um, they might think about whether our current policies and practices, um, you know, as they apply to asylum seekers, are you know, whether they're comfortable with with what we actually do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, as you say, you know, we, we could stop... We could stop doing these things at any time, mm. um, but we haven't. Uh, so so why is that?
0: I talked there about also, I mean, the unique perspectives. That, and that's, I feel like I'm, I'm really kind of glossing over something by saying, you know, a, a, a bureaucratic system that can torture people is a unique perspective. But um, you tell the story through diary entries from a lead member of the scientific team, and this Style takes that kind of analytic view, and it it has that that way of at least in the the teller's mind of rationalizing the horrors it describes. Um, names are given to experimental or theoretical models that that make torture almost seem sanitary. But you you then so it's on day one fifty two. The entries are labelled day one fifty two. Your researcher has a strange dream that kind of hints at the harm he is perpetrating. And I wondered there, were you you kind of teasing at this idea that no matter how we try to manipulate language and tell ourselves comfortable lies, something will always come through? Maybe there is a core humanity that will start
1: to crack through? Yeah, I, I think so. I think you're right. And I think that character, you know, dresses up what... What the scientific team are doing in, in very objective, detached language, uh, and maybe that's to protect himself from from the the, the the cruel reality of of what they're what they're doing. But but I think ultimately, um, even he can't fail to see the um, the inhumanity of of, of of what's going on uh, under his under his watch. Mm.
0: And it's really it's it's one of those things that I love in a world where it feels like for the better part of a decade, we've had this battle around the idea of truth and that truth is somehow contingent that we can turn to literature that we can turn to essentially fictional worlds well told to see the truth in a way that we can't in our world. That's that's an extraordinary power that I I see in this story, but also in parts of the collection as a whole.
1: Oh well, yeah. Thank you. That's um, that's great to hear. And, and I, I I think I enjoy writing and reading fiction uh, because in some ways I think with fiction you can sometimes get closer to a, a truth or an, an insight than with with nonfiction. With with nonfiction, you you have to uh, I guess follow where the facts lead and, and be true to the facts that that. Inform the inform the book, but with fiction, as a writer, you you have no nowhere to hide, no excuses. The story goes exactly where you want it to go, and uncovers and turns over the rocks you you want to turn over. Uh, so um, you can you can really get right to the heart of whatever you're trying to um, you know get get at. And for me, I think writing is a way of really wrestling with something I feel uncomfortable about or a problem I'm, I'm trying to solve uh, it's, a, it's a way of picking up a problem and looking at it from all sorts of different angles and trying to get to some insight that, that you you previously didn't have yeah
0: Andrew this has been such a terrific chat've I've been trying to check I started jumping around my questions right from the beginning and you have been extraordinarily generous in your time are there any parts of the collection that you just Feel it would be remiss if we didn't shout out or anything you want to mention from from Slow Machine.
1: Uh, look, I, I think um, we've we've sort of uh, ranged over the collection quite quite widely. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the only thing I'd I'd add is um, you know we we've, we've probably touched on some of the more intense uh, stories, but I'd like to think there's a bit of humour in there that mm-hmm. sort of levants the collection as well. Um, uh, you know, one of the the great. Uh, things about releasing a collection like this is you start to get a bunch of readers with eyes on on the stories um, these stories that have just existed for so long in your own head Uh, and I'm really enjoying the the reactions and the responses Um, even to the same story uh, you know I'll get one person saying oh that was hilarious I really you know really love that what a what a hoot and Another person will say about the same story, oh, gee, that was a bit dark, you, you know, you're a bit twisted and weird, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, so I, I really like those diverse reactions and I'd like to think that um, that people will read this collection and, and no two readers will have exactly the same reaction. Um, that, that makes me, uh, you yeah, know, that thought really tickles me. So um, it's been great.
0: It is absolutely fantastic uh, to yeah to and i i probably did lean i lent i lent into the the stories that really kind of jumped out at me and and gave me ideas but it is it is a collection that just drives you forward it it wants you to keep reading and and i did the i did the strangest thing i i read it in pretty much a linear fashion often i jump around with short story collections but I tried to. I tried to stay true. It's. Um, it's you know like like listening to an album. I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna respect the artist's decision here.
1: <laughs> oh well, thank you. That's that's good to hear. I'm, I know that my editor will be happy to uh, to hear that all our agonising about story order uh, has, has has paid off. So uh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Andrew. I'm going
0: to give us a bit of an outro here. Sure. I am speaking. I am speaking with Andrew Roth. We are discussing his new short story collection. It is called The Teeth of a Slow Machine. It's out now from Wakefield Press. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for this great conversation with Andrew Roth. Andrew's new book is the incredible short story collection, The Teeth of a Slow Machine. It's out now from Wakefield Press. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented, and all the other little bits and pieces. He even makes the coffee by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You'll find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and I will fully acknowledge that I can be pretty slack with posting. But when we get there, we get there, and I love to hear from you. I love to know what's going on in your reading world. Of course, if you just want more Great Conversations, more bits and pieces of book love, subscribe in your podcast app, wherever you're getting this. There's a new great conversation. There's a new book club every single week. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye for now.